and welcome to the Jazz Matters podcast with me, Darren Harper. In case you're keeping count, this is episode 22. Last time out, we spoke to New York-based saxophonist, composer and band leader Daniel Bennett and heard music from his folk-infused album, We Are The Orchestra. And this time we have something quite different. Whilst the saxophone is arguably the most iconic instrument of the jazz genre, one instrument that wouldn't spring to many people's mind is the steel pan. Synonymous with the Caribbean and often seen as a novelty sideshow instrument, it's the steel pan that Mark Cherry has brought to the front of the jazz quartet. And having been invited to see them perform live at the Pizza Express Jazz Club in Soho, I can certainly say it is a most welcome addition to this kind of music. The Pizza Express Club also provided the venue for my interview with Mark, my first trip back since I interviewed Pixie and the Gypsies for the very first episode of the Jazz Matters podcast, nearly a whole year ago. You can still find that episode, along with all the others, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and at jazzmatters.net. So before we share the Mark Cherry story with you, we just have to share some of this great music. The 2018 album Joining the Dots features the Mark Cherry Quartet, John Donaldson on piano, Mick Hutton on double bass, Eric Ford on drums and, of course, Mark on the steel pan. But it also features some special guests, Dominic Grant on acoustic guitar, Dave O'Higgins on tenor sax, Nigel Price on electric guitar, and the vocals of Summerdo. And from that album, this is a Mark Cherry original called Morse Code.
Mark Cherry is an accomplished and experienced musician, even on more conventional instruments. He has played keyboards professionally for many years, playing with artists such as The Drifters, Edwin Starr and Jimmy Ruffin. He has also written and recorded music for hundreds of TV shows, including some of the biggest shows on television, including ER, Friends and The Fresh Prince. But his first experience of the steel pan was his father playing with the Russ Henderson trio. Mark's father, Ralph, and Russ arrived in the UK from Trinidad in the 1950s and quickly found they could make a living playing steel pan in their new home. Not only that, but the playing of these instruments had a huge and long-lasting impact on his new home in Notting Hill. did this thing where they, like three of them, and they kind of got their pans, and they put them on straps, and they went for a walk around that area, and people started joining in. And that was actually the birth of, of Notting Hill Carnival. But it's, I didn't, my, my dad never spoke of it when I was growing up, but uh, I kind of found that out later on. He was not a, not a huge Carnival fan, actually. But yeah, so it's, it's, it's nice to feel that kind of connection. But I mean, my um, so I started playing my dad's band, and at, at the same um, age, I was, at, I was at secondary school, I, I was learning the piano and the cello. Um, and then from about 1986, I, I got offered um, a tour to go away to East Africa and play music. So it meant giving up my day job. So I gave up my day job, but I never looked back, actually. So I, I've been, um, since then, um, I've been working as, uh, as a, you know, a professional steel pan player, but also a professional keyboard player. Um, and also, um, since 1993, um, I've been writing production music for a few different companies as well, so I do, I've done a lot of that. Clearly, Mark grew up with a diverse range of music surrounding him, including some jazz. Early memories of hearing Miles Davis playing at home still stirs the feelings of total confusion. It was a sound he just didn't understand. But clearly, at some point, jazz entered Mark's life in a positive way and became a genre he grew passionate about. And as it happens, this happened in a single identifiable moment. It was a day in his mid-teenage years when he first heard Stan Tracy's Under Milk Wood. I remember getting that from the, the record library and it, I just started to understand what was going on. So that was kind of, that was my kind of introduction, I think, into, into kind of beginning to figure out what jazz was about, really. It was really that album. So it's quite a, a bit of a kick for me because my, my album is on a, a record label called Trio Records and they, they actually still sell Under Milk with themselves. Uh, and the, the, the guy who runs that label knew, um, I mean, knew, knew those guys quite well, Stan. He played with Stan's band for years. Um, so that, that was kind of, that album was my kind of gateway in, into that music. When an accomplished professional keyboard player, who also happens to be quite handy on the steel pan, decides to make a break into the jazz world, you may be forgiven for wondering why he didn't go with the instrument that a jazz audience may be more familiar with. 
But long before joining the dots was even a pipe dream, Mark had actually been playing the steel pan in London's 606 Club for a number of years, guesting for Trinidadian jazz pianist Russ Henderson, who his father had also worked with back in the 1950s and 1960s. Henderson would play jazz standards mixed with Caribbean music and Mark would regularly join him on stage. Then in 2016, the son of a friend was studying a Tunmeister course at Surrey University. A requirement of this course was to record a certain number of hours of jazz music and he contacted Mark to see if he could assist. With the offer of free studio time, Mark managed to hastily put something together. And so I thought, well, um, maybe I'll see what, you know, what I can do with it. So I've, I've just booked these guys. We'd never played before. We rocked up at the studio. And I think we had, um, we had two days. We were given two days. So I kind of figured, the way I kind of, in my head, I thought what would happen is that we would, we would go in there on the first day and that I, I'd kind of record the band and then I'd be able to go back the next day and then record all my parts. And when I, when I, when I turned up at the studio... Um, the guy who was recording this guy called Chris Kalkov, and he says, "Oh no, no, no! We've got, we've got to do everything live, you know." So I was like, "Oh my god!" I, I wasn't actually, I hadn't prepared myself for that at all. So, so but very happy, you know. We, we, we did it, you know. We, I had no idea at that stage um, what if what we had done was any good, if anybody would like it. I had n- absolutely zero idea. So I got the the audio files of him, and then I mixed it myself then I had it mastered elsewhere and then I thought well I've got this an album's worth of stuff let's see if anybody's interested in putting it out so um, you know I sent off a few emails to different kind of UK based jazz labels and I had three offers in the end Um, so so that the album came out last year and then um, I got a couple of people involved doing a bit of PR and then I picked up quite a lot of press which I think helped me get some, you know, I've landed some, some decent gigs. I, I, I just love doing this. I love doing it. I love doing it so much. Whenever a new band starts producing music, they always have to fight to be heard above the huge noise of all the incredible music flooding the scene. Imagine then that you also had the struggle of getting people to understand the very instrument you're playing and to respect it for what it is. Moreover, sometimes having to convince people that you are actually playing a real musical instrument. I kid you not, these have been battles that Mark has had to fight. Can you name any other jazz musician that can play three nights at Ronnie Scott's only to come off stage and be asked if their instrument was made out of a bin lid? Staggering. But this is not something that comes as a surprise to Mark, but it is a common misconception that he is very keen on ending. I st- and you have to say, well, look, let, let me just tell you about the history of the instrument. I'll, I'll, I can talk about the history. You know? And it, it's important not to be rude, but it's important to make sure that people do understand that you are playing a, a bona fide musical instrument that is, you know, is associated with a certain kind of um, happy-go-lucky Caribbean thing, which is great, but it's not what I'm doing. And I, I really, I really dig that. I dig the idea that um, the, the, the repertoire we play is deliberately not Caribbean at all, and it's very improvised. Lots, you know, standards, kind of 
reinterpretations of pop tunes and it's kind of stuff I really dig. Silly questions and innocent ignorance aside, how does a jazz audience react to seeing a modern jazz quartet led by a steel pan? Is it viewed with suspicion or written off as a novelty? Or has it been warmly embraced as a way of providing a new take on a genre that has, after all, been built on the very shoulders of innovation? I think it's pretty much 50, a 50-50 split. I, I, really, I really, really do. I think that um, you are going to be fighting this uh, kind of the idea that it's, that it's a novelty thing and it's not really serious but then there are people who are genuinely interested you know and um, we did a we did a small tour a little UK tour last year and I actually I found that there was some of the younger people that came along to were, were, were genuinely interested you know and and kind of open to that kind of sound and even I've had people like who have come up to me and said you know I, I, first couple of tunes I just didn't really get the whole sound of it but, but I really really like it and I would it, you know so I, I, I kind of I think it's 50 50 with that you know there's that you know so I think some some of the time people like it because it's a bit different and but yeah it's, it's a two-edged sword definitely so a chance offer of some free studio time and a quartet who had never played together until the red light in the studio lit up for the first time, have managed to produce a wonderfully musical album. There is absolutely nothing novelty about the sound they produce, and I am definitely not the only person who thinks so. You only have to look at bookings at Ronnie Scott's and a tour across the UK, as well as a wave of great reviews, including a four-star review from Dave Gelly in The Guardian, who also included joining the dots in his top 10 albums of 2018. But how has this affected Mark's career and his plans for the future? Has the steel pan taken over his life? Well, as it happens, he is still currently playing a huge range of music on a vast number of gigs, with an awful lot of keyboard work included in that. But will that change over time? Something tells me it just might. For me, if I could write my own story, there'd be more of this going on. So we haven't done badly so far because it's still quite a new thing. Um, but um, my plan at the moment is really to, to try and pull in another bunch of gigs for around about April time and then and apply some more for, for some more Arts Council funding. We got funded for the last tour that we did, which was really, really great. So I thought, well, you know, let's, let's, let's see if we can expand on that for sure. Also, um, I'm kind of thinking about uh, in, along the lines of doing another album, um, but with a, a kind of a different balance of, of tunes. On, on the first one, there was more, there was more covers and less original stuff, and I would, I'd change the balance. I just felt that um, doing some, doing this particular project, and doing a whole album of original stuff is it, it's a, it's a, it's a lot for somebody who's not used to hearing that sound to take in. So I thought at least do stuff that people can recognise, they can latch onto, and then through that they can latch onto the whole sound of the band. 
As this particular project develops, where would Mark like to see it go? Are there any ultimate inspirations out there who he thinks could bring an extra dimension to what he is currently putting out? Anybody he would love the opportunity to work with? And what can we expect to see from Mark Cherry over the next couple of years? The thing is, I I, I really like the sound of this particular band. And so for me, going forward, it's really to to develop the sound of this core group of musicians. And, you know, I I don't think we've explored every single kind of possibility yet. So, you know, I really want to keep this particular band together and, you know, maybe have other people guesting. But really, for me, the focus is, is really on getting... Going further with this group of people, you know, it's kind of like when you know somebody's playing and you like their playing, that's really what what you want in in your band.
Our final track of this episode, and one that I'm sure was almost instantly recognisable to most of you, that was the Mark Cherry Quartet with previously mentioned special guests and their take on Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit. As we approach the end of the episode, it just remains for me to say a big thank you to Mark Cherry for giving up his time for this interview right before walking on stage at Pizza Express and also for having me as his guest at the gig. If you want to learn more about Mark's career and his music, you can head over to his website, markcherryquartet.com, and you can find him on Twitter simply as Mark Cherry, and the Mark Cherry Quartet have their own Facebook page. As always, those links will be in the podcast show notes for those listening on a podcast platform. Please, please do take a moment to rate and review the Jazz Matters podcast wherever you listen to it, or even just tell your friends about it. It really helps us reach even more people with our stories. For more information on Jazz Matters, you can find us, as always, at jazzmatters.net or join in the conversation on Twitter, where you can find us with the handle MattersJazz. I've got some really exciting episodes lined up between now and Christmas and some equally exciting things in the pipeline outside of the podcast. So stay tuned to social media or sign up to the mailing list via the website to be amongst the first to know. I'll be back with you in two weeks' time. But until then, thanks for listening and goodbye.